0: I am your host, the Mortal Kombat fan, Tim. And with me as always is my co-host, our lore master, Yanni. Welcome, Yanni.
1: Thanks, fan, Tim. And welcome author David L. Craddock, who you might know at least recently in the Mortal Kombat community specifically as the writer behind Long Live Mortal Kombat. Welcome, David.
2: Hey, guys. It's great to be here. From now on, I am under your control, or at least for the duration of this podcast. Perfect.
0: (laughs) (laughs) David, we're going to go into a lot of stuff this episode because you have like this huge, long career and leading into the book. But before we jump into all that, can you tell us just a little bit about how did you get involved with Mortal Kombat or what kind of your history before uh, your career kind of came into play with all this?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I came to Mortal Kombat from the beginning. I was 10 years old when Mortal Kombat 1 came to arcades in October 1992. And I remember, um, so my parents divorced, which was actually one of the best things that's ever happened to me. It was good for them, but also I got great extended family from both sides. And I had two arcades, one near dad's house, one near mom's house. And I remember um, every time we were with dad, we'd go out to dinner, go to the mall so my brother and I could hit the arcade and then you know just spend some family time running around the stores. And I remember one weekend I went in and there was just this, there were people packed around this cabinet. The crowd was so deep that... I couldn't see what the game was, but there was another monitor mounted above the arcade machine. And I looked up just in time to see what I thought was a movie, because I'd never seen graphics that realistic before. And then the sky darkened and one guy like punched through another guy's chest and ripped his heart out. And I had just played a lot of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So to go from that to Mortal Kombat, I was like, what is this? I need this. Well, what? I need to play this game. It was quite a tonal shift. And I've just been fixated on the series from there since I was 10 years old.
0: That's cool. I love hearing, you know, like every time we ask this question, half the answers come from, I was in an arcade, I saw all these people crowd around an arcade machine. And <laughs> like, that's the perfect image for, you know, 1990s Mortal Kombat, in my opinion. Um, this The monitor above it was that, you know, showing... Everything from the, those that connected to the arcade cabinet itself. It
2: was, yeah, it was, it, it's the only time I'd ever seen that. And then doing a lot of research for various video games I've written about over the years, I found that really arcade operators would only do that. When there was a popular game, they wanted to attract notice and the crowds were so thick that you couldn't get close enough to see the main screen. So it was almost, it almost felt like being at a, like a WWE show where you're sitting in the <laughs> crowd, you're too far down. So you're watching the Titan Tron just to see what's going on. Yeah. So you can get that's close awesome. Enough.
1: You know, seeing that heart rip, it's like the first experience being Kano, really.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I think that, like, that's one of my, it's probably one of my favorite fatalities and also one of the most iconic, right? Like right up there with Scorpion's uh, head and spine rip, or Sub-Zero's head and spine rip. Well,
1: let's move into your career then a little bit. Uh, You've been an author for about, what, 18 years, according to your website? And you're currently working as an editor for Shaq News.
2: Yes. Uh, well, yes and no. I'm still with Shack News, but the last two years, especially, I've been so busy with books that I've just kind of made almost guest cameos whenever they need me to cover anything or, or write anything. Um, really, the, the writing is something I've been doing full time for about 18 years in various positions, editors, but... But mainly books and and long live Mortal Kombat, which would be a trilogy, is the latest of those. Um, something else i've been doing since I was ten is programming. I wanted to write video games and I was pretty good at it, I think he said humbly um, <laughs> through through college, but i would I just found myself taking a lot of literature and writing courses because. Really, the only thing I enjoy more than playing video games is reading. And I've always loved to write. And so I kind of pivoted from wanting to write games to wanting to write about games. And now I write and publish fiction and nonfiction. And all the nonfiction books so far, uh, with one or two exceptions, have been about games. And not just the games themselves, but the people who make them and kind of the culture that gave rise to the games within the studios. And then the culture among fans that springs up around the games once they're out.
0: I noticed a lot of your articles kind of had that theme to them, you know, kind of talking about the the video game culture. How did you kind of make your transition into becoming a, a writer?
2: Um, I, I, I grew up reading a lot of formative magazines, probably like a lot of people from my generation did Nintendo power game, pro electronic gaming monthly. And I, I wanted to write about the games. And of course, at first you want to review games because you're like naively, Oh, they play games for a living and then write every now and then it is quite the inverse of that. <laughs> I, I, I have very little time to play games today, minus the ones I'm writing about, which lately has meant a lot of mortal Kombat. So no complaints there. Um, but I, Really with with books, it started with me looking at kind of the landscape of my favorite games from childhood, like Diablo, Mortal Kombat, Prince of Persia, Doom, etc. And and realizing, you know, a lot not a lot of those stories have been told. And the first book of mine that was a, a bestseller was Stay a While and Listen book one. Um I read a lot of fantasy, so I guess I can't help but write long series about these games. But um it was just me kind of going, you know, no one's told the story of Blizzard yet, and those games, you know, Warcraft 2, Starcraft, Diablo 1 and 2 came out before collector's editions with behind the scenes art books and documentaries and so forth were the norm. So when you'd want to learn a little bit about Blizzard history, you'd go online and and see what archive.org had managed to salvage. And so I just started interviewing developers of Diablo, Warcraft, Starcraft, all those games piecing together the story. And with every book I write, and this has never been more uh, obvious to me than with Long Live Mortal Kombat, my goal is always to try to take an angle that no one has really taken before. So with Long Live MK, I wanted to to do more than write about how the games were made. I wanted to write about how the games have positively influenced so many lives and just meet as many fans as possible and share their stories about how Mortal Kombat has become kind of a fixture in their lives.
1: Before we move into Long Live Mortal Kombat, I'm very excited to get there, especially after that little bit you just gave us. Uh, you you <laughs> did mention that you've sort of been guest appearing, I suppose, with different uh, companies and such. So you have appearances with Vice Gaming, uh, Kotaku, Polygon, IGN, as I understand it, and a lot more. So you have quite an expansive history with all these different companies.
0: Even Wired, Wired Magazine.
2: Yeah, even Wired. Um, it's kind of cool. They, they interview every now and then for their Geek's Guide to the Galaxy podcast. And then the host uh, will write an article about our conversation. So I'll see my my name in Wired and realize, like, oh, what did I do? And then I just realized, <laughs> oh, it's about, it's about this podcast. And so, yeah, that's really kind of the life of a freelancer, though. Um, I, like I said, I don't do it as much anymore. But when you're freelancing, you just kind of make pitches to outlets in print and online more and more these days and just see what they want to write about what they're interested in so i've been lucky enough to write for a lot of the who's who of gaming websites doubly fortunate because when at occasions like these when i have a book coming out i can contact editors i know there and say hey would you be willing to host an excerpt and since they know my work they're usually willing to, to get on board and that's you know free content for them free promotion for me
1: so it works out it's pretty awesome how that's worked out actually especially considering you seem to have a very diverse uh, roster of games that you like to, to write about and well, play, I suppose. I mean, you've ranged from, as you said, stay a while and listen, Diablo, which I love it, by the way, and yes. <laughs> to Mortal Kombat. So you've gone from like old school RPG style to Mortal Kombat fighting game. Then you've got XCOM. Then you've got Pillars of Eternity. It's, it, you're all over the place. And then even coming into, say, Shovel Knight, which I suppose is, while it's relatively new, is also a very old school Pixel kind of gameplay too so very interesting like to move into the platforming as well how how is it that you sort of jump around between all these do you take a different writing up uh, style for each of them
2: i do try to I, th- I think my style is more or less the same it's very conversational and I try to put you in the moment um it's sort of third person uh definitely third person past tense but i i don't like to do a lot of inserting myself into the stories because i like you to kind of feel like a fly on the wall getting to witness all of these events that led to big decisions and i guess i like writing about diverse games especially older ones not because of nostalgia i'm not really a nostalgic person by by nature despite the you know the nes controller shirt i'm wearing here (laughs) but um because teams back then were so small and because the Teams are so small, everyone's background, everyone's opinions, everyone's personal culture would have a big impact on the game. You know, nowadays, a lot of AAA studios, development teams are hundreds of people big, and some of them work on one specific thing. And that one specific thing might be very important, but it's also kind of hard to pinpoint, oh, you did this. Whereas I can talk to the co-creators of Diablo and they can say, oh, yeah, the the whole there is no cow level rumor. That was me. I did that by inserting a cow for fun and Tristram, you know. and yeah, I, I would say the writing style is is kind of the same. But like I said, I, I look for a way in that hasn't been done to death. For example, I love Nintendo, but I wouldn't write about Nintendo because so many other people are doing it. I wouldn't want to find a, a way in that hasn't really been a path that hasn't been trodden.
0: With uh, all the books that you've kind of written for, too, as Yanni was saying, you, you have a, a particular genre that you kind of pick up for. Kind of tell us or tell the audience kind of the different books that you've written. I mean, you've already mentioned Diablo and uh, Blizzard, but what are some of the other ones you have?
2: Yeah, well, I'll say a little bit of background. I've always considered myself sort of gaming agnostic. I just love to play games no matter what platforms they're on, no matter who makes them. And so I think that's where a lot of the diversity in my writing comes from. I didn't grow up just playing one type of game. I played all these different sorts of games. So it's a pleasure to write about them. Um, Some of my books, like I said, are Stay While and Listen series, uh, which has two books out so far about Blizzard, uh, Long Live Mortal Kombat, which will be out later this year. uh, The Breakout, which is about how formative Apple II games kind of sent the templates for a lot of genres we still know today, even sprawling open world games like Grand Theft Auto, those genres arguably started on Apple II, and so I kind of trace a lot of game genres back to their roots in that book. Um, Shovel Knight, I wrote because I, It's kind of a happenstance i happened to interview one developer of shovel knight and wrote a very small book maybe 80 pages or so and then i contacted them saying hey i'm gonna gonna publish this just wanted to give you guys a heads up and they contacted me saying you know we only had time for you to talk to one of us what if you were to talk to all of us and i said well that would be awesome let's do that and they said you know we've also we love boss fight books which is a publisher that their their whole thing is Every book they write has to be written by an author with a personal connection to the game. So you can learn with each book that they publish, you'll learn not only how a particular game was made, but the author's personal connection and history to it. So um, my connection to Shovel Knight was I love 2D platformers, even though I love to play everything. I would say 2D platforming is probably my favorite type of game to play overall. And so I, you know, I. Went to Boss Fight Books and said, Hey, Yacht Club Games is interested in this book about Shovel Knight. I'm gonna expand it. And Boss Fight Books were interested. So every book kind of has an origin story along those lines that, that comes about. And Stay a While and Listen was uh, was kind of funny. I had an uncle who worked for Blizzard North, now defunct, and that was the studio that actually made Diablo One and mm-hmm. Two. Blizzard Entertainment published it and also gave a lot of, you know, design input. They built Battle Net. Um, but uh, I knew my uncle worked there. And since I was a kid, I actually <laughs> He would give me all the alphas. I played the alpha versions of every Blizzard game through World of Warcraft. And he still had, my uncle had worked with a lot of those folks. And so I said, you know, I'm looking for connections. I've talked to some of the employees who I also got to work with because I've worked in game development as well. I said, but I really need to talk to Dave Brevik and Max and Eric Schaefer, the three guys who co-founded Blizzard North. So he said, well, I have Dave's number. And this is really early in my career. So I I called Dave and he goes, hello. And I think in one breath, I said, hi, Dave, my name is Dave too. Isn't that cool? Listen, I'm writing a book about Diablo and I really (laughs) like to interview you. Would that be something you want to (gasps) do? You know, he just pauses and he goes, uh, sure. You know, that's kind of like Dave in a nutshell. He's like, yeah, I'm game. And, um, yeah, I really love the interview portions of these books because it's me just chatting with people about games and sharing a passion for games and learning about how they made the decisions they made that gave way to their games
0: so it's been uh that's been really a really fun part of it with these books i mean you've you've mentioned that you had uh, this publisher boss books that was helping you with them but uh, i also noticed that like your XCOM book was a a kickstarter launch did you work with a publisher for every book or was it kind of a, a, a maligation between the two
2: it was definitely um, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Um, I am what's called a hybrid author, meaning I've, I've sold books to traditional publishers. I also self-published some um, For a while with Long Live Mortal Kombat, I was talking to a publisher and I like what they were kind of suggesting, but I wanted to go my own way with it. So I decided to kickstart it since I have you know, success doing that twice now. Uh it just gives me more control over I am kind of a control freak when it comes to to my books, to kind of my babies. I want things a certain way, um, a certain style. So just gives me freedom over that. In some cases, like Monsters in the Dark, the making of XCOM, um, which was kickstarted last year, I I did everything myself, hired editors, hired cover artists. Uh with Long of the Mortal Kombat, uh and we'll stay a while and listen, my my wife, who is a graphic designer, um, she and i are working together and it's always kind of a test because she gets to deal with control freak david when she works <laughs> on one of my books <laughs> with me so it's you know there's really no separation of church and state there regarding your know, marriage and and work so it's it can be testing but we both enjoy working together ultimately and, and everything we do is for the kind of doing the best things best decisions for the book so we're having fun with this one right now who knows I will feel in four months when we're both tearing our hair up.
0: (laughs) So I noticed that you had written an article for Polygon called nearly 30 years ago, Mortal Kombat's blood forever changed the video game industry. And at the time, it seemed like you're also working on the book uh, Arcade Perfect, which is how Pac-Man, Mortal Kombat and other other coin op classics invaded the living room. Mm -hmm. Was this kind of the predecessor for what you're currently working on? It
2: was, in fact, that that um, going back to what I said earlier, that was um, not so much an article for Polygon. But I I know a guy there, Matt Leone. I've interviewed him, in fact, for Long Live Mortal Kombat. And um, he was my contact there. And I said, Matt, I'd like to run an excerpt from Arcade Perfect. I think this one about Mortal Kombat would be great. And he agreed. And so we published that chapter, chapter excerpt. Arcade Perfect was definitely the predecessor to this. And that was a passion project of mine because growing up i loved arcade ports i loved kind of pouring over the latest issue of whatever gaming magazine i had in my hands and comparing and contrasting you know, the super nes and genesis versions of a mortal kombat game or the the ms dos and the nes versions of the ninja turtles arcade game from konami just because i wasn't necessarily interested in which Version was better, but the differences they just made me curious. Why do they look different than the arcade game? I didn't really understand that at the time. And so Arcade Perfect, which is all about home versions of arcade games, was just kind of my opportunity to talk to people about different games and find out, hey, you know, what was your input on this? How are how were arcade games converted? And it's actually really stressful. Most most of the time, conversions were a single programmer who had maybe two or three months to figure out how the arcade game worked. Sometimes they were given source code sometimes they had to go to arcades spend a lot of their own money and like memorize how things looked sounded and felt and try to recreate that again between eight and 12 weeks and that was just really fascinating and that was also the first time i got to interview john tobias so yeah it, it did in a way kind of plant the seeds for long live mk
1: well i guess since we're moving into mortal Kombat territory now we can start uh, with I guess I'm assuming it's going to be from the beginning because based on the fact that your long live MK series seems to focus on the arcade era what is your favorite game from Mortal Kombat My
2: my favorite game from all 11 so far is probably 9
0: Ooh.
2: um it's it's uh it was just the, the primary colors just popped I think that they I think that NetherRealm kind of rebooting and going back to you know deciding to retell the story from the early games was a great idea because i feel like a lot of mortal Kombat players even if they didn't play the arcade games you could show them ultimate mk3's roster and go yeah that might be the best lineup of mortal Kombat characters of all time it's you know if you look into any of the games that came after they're successful based on m- whether most of the characters from that game are are in the lineup um so i i really loved Uh, mortal kombat 9 i would say from the arcade era i'm in a minority here but i love mortal kombat 4. i love the more open-ended combo system compared to ultimate's very uh, rigid dial of combos dial is is the operative word there it was like if you didn't know the phone number you weren't making that call whereas mortal kombat 4's combo system was which much more flexible and i thought fun but um uh yeah I, i think i could go with two ultimate mk3 or four as as a as a tie but if i had to get but to choose from the arcade era it would be four. All right.
0: Did you have a uh, favorite character?
2: Katana. Always katana. I I I love the kind of the juxtaposition of her of her regal nobility, but her her deadliness as well. You know, she could she could um she could probably do all sorts of trade negotiations between dimensions. She can seduce you. She can kill you. She's kind of the whole package I think of what Mortal Kombat is all about of just really layered characters who have a lot going on especially a lot of the recent twists such as you know her becoming uh lu kang's uh evil queen at the end of mortal Kombat x i just i've loved following her her plot arc from the
1: beginning so this book that you're writing now um, it's titled long live mortal Kombat: round one the fatalities and fandom of the arcade era i do like the uh the appropriate title of round one signifying that <laughs> it's the first installment <laughs> uh, right. you've mentioned that you have been i mean one at one Kind of part of your style with your writing is that you will interview notable members from whether it be the studios or the teams, and you can see that being the case here with Long Live Mortal Kombat as you actually talk to notable members of the community, which we think is pretty cool because that's actually what we kind of try and do here on the show too. So, right. uh, but uh, you you have four sections to this book. Would you mind breaking them down for us? Sure. So there are four sections, and each section covers
2: one game: one, two, three, and UMK three. Um With a little bit of trilogy to kick off part four going into Mortal Kombat four, and each section has I would say three types of chapters. Um, the first type is always development oriented. We learn you know from guys like John Tobias and Ken Fidesna, a former manager at Midway, how these games were made and the reason I talk to developers and managers is because I want to give you the story from different vantage points. I want you to know what Sean Tobias and Ed Boone were thinking, "I also want you to know what management was thinking." They were considering sales. You know, a fun fact is that Mortal Kombat One wasn't supposed to be anything special. Um, Ken Fidesna and, and Neil Nicastro, the owner, the this, uh, chairman of Midway, was just thinking, "Oh, this is just going to be a filler game. We need to have something to, to make some money until NBA Jam comes out." And then Mortal Kombat took off and they had, you know, their most successful franchise ever on their there. Um, so those are the development chapters. After that, I go into kind of game systems dissection where I talk to a lot of pro players um, such as Shock, such as PND Ketchup and Mustard, who have really learned these games backwards and forwards and can explain the systems to me, break down the tier list of who is the objective best character in each game, and then the third type of chapter is community, where I tell more personal stories about how fans have connected with Mortal Kombat. I've talked to people who kind of were able to sort of chase drug dealers from their arcades because they were good at Mortal Kombat and earned the respect of these big, tough criminals. I talked to people who escaped abusive homes through Mortal Kombat. So you're really going to learn not only how the games were made, but how the systems work and why these games mean
0: so much to people for going on 30 years now. That's amazing. I, like I'm excited to hear it e- even just for the last parts of that book. That sounds cool.
2: Yeah, it was again, it was something I, I thought I, I've, I've wanted to write about Mortal Kombat for a long time now. I was actually I was so obsessed with Mortal Kombat as a kid that from middle school through high school, students and teachers alike called me mortal. Um, I just <laughs> talked about it all the time. I was sneaking magazines and strategy guides into class. Um, my first paid writing job was I had people coming up to me saying, Psst, mortal, you got the codes? And I was like, what do you, you mean? Like, like, Abacab? Like, what do you want? Cheat codes? And they're like, no, man, you got those fatalities. I felt like I was like some, you know, some shady watch dealer. Like, hey, I've got I've got Sega Genesis over here. I've got Super Nintendo and Game Gear over here. And um, I, I was like, okay, there's a demand for this. So I took the Mortal Kombat strategy guide my mom had bought for me I went to the, the school's computer lab. I typed out everyone's special moves and finishers and the cheat codes mm-hmm. if they wanted them, printed them out and sold them for 25 cents each. So that was kind of my first paid writing job as a very entrepreneurial <laughs> uh, sixth grader. So, yeah, uh, I've wanted to write this story for years. But like I said, there's been so much written about Mortal Kombat that I, I waited until I could find an in. And, and I think long live Mortal Kombat's in will um, entice a lot of fans who will hopefully see a lot of themselves. In the books maybe literally if if there's some people i interview
0: you had mentioned that you know you have four books or four four rounds in in these books and they're based off of the original four arcade game mortal Kombat. Right. is there a reason that you only uh, uh looking at the four arcade games or is there possible plans that this might get expanded later on with the home
2: versions so that's a great question um Uh, When I look at Mortal Kombat, I see three eras in counting. There's the arcade era of one through four. There's the 3D era, where four really kind of has one foot in the arcade era, one foot in the 3D era. And the 3D games are, of course, five, six, and seven. And then there's more the, I haven't really come up with a name for this. It's the modern era, their competitive era, because Mortal Kombat is now a fixture in esports, which I think is awesome, Um, which is uh, uh, MK versus DC Universe, aka MK8, through probably Probably 12 whenever they get around to announcing what everyone already knows is coming. <laughs>
1: um
2: and I, I just I felt like I could write a trilogy of these books based on the eras. So so round one is actually the four arcade games, then round two will be the three D era uh final round because that's what shao khan says in the games will be the the current era and um actually within each uh section of round one you will hear i interviewed a ton of people from acclaim including the co-founders some of whom have never spoken about this before about how the home games were converted which i also covered uh quite a bit of ground in that area in arcade perfect if anyone wants to pick that up um but also how they put together the Mortal Monday campaign, which was not only huge for Mortal Kombat, but it changed the way video game marketing worked. I mean, it's it's almost wild to think about, but back in Mortal Kombat's day, pre-ordering was not a thing. In fact, most games didn't have ship dates. Whenever a company was done, they would give kind of a target window. Maybe you'd read a preview in EGM that said, oh, it should be out by Christmas. And then you'd go to a store one day, the game wouldn't be there. Maybe the next day it was there. They just hadn't unpacked it and put it on the shelves yet. So the idea of focusing this multi-million dollar campaign on a single date for all versions of the game was very very novel for acclaim. um in fact from the people i talked to i talked to not only the co-founders but a lot of people in the marketing team who were behind for example the uh the awesome mortal kombat uh, commercial which is still my favorite video game advertisement of all time um they they feel that they have as much ownership in Mortal Kombat as Midway. And I'd never really thought about it before, but they actually said, listen, I'll put it to you this way. Those guys at Midway, they, they came up with something great. We're not the creative ones. They're the creative ones. But they measured their sales in the tens of thousands. We measure our sales of their game in the tens of millions. So you can't tell me that we didn't have as much of an impact on Mortal Kombat. And so you'll get that perspective as well. Wow, yeah.
1: I like that approach you've taken Yeah, with the different perspectives and such. It's a very interesting style, which definitely breaks things down into ways that some people might be thinking and others won't, wouldn't be. And then some way they're thinking that those same people weren't thinking either.
2: Right. It's it's, I think it's just important because I think a lot of times with video games, there's a tendency to take this kind of rock and roll star approach where you only talk to certain figureheads. For example, you know, John Tobias, and Ed Boone deserve all the credit in the world for the creation of, of Mortal Kombat. It all started with them. They really did riff off each other uh everything was 50 50 there but you know a lot of things like like the marketing the licensing that was something done kind of beyond them to to, to grow mortal Kombat into not just a popular arcade game but into a pop culture phenomenon of merchandise movies tv shows etc in fact i talked to um the first person to really drive mortal Kombat licensing was a guy named danny simon who co-founded uh, or founded a studio called the licensing group which you know there's no mystery into what they do they license things and uh you know he'd gotten his start licensing you know uh, tv shows a uh, terminator because he knew james cameron and and that led to things like the first round of mortal Kombat action figures it led to the movie All sorts of stuff. So I was able to get those perspectives as well. So
1: you spoke to, you've mentioned that you've spoken to John Tobias. Uh, Mm -hmm. Would that mean that you've also had a chance to speak to Ed Boon regarding all this?
2: I have approached him. In fact, I kind (laughs) of, I cornered him at E3 a few years ago, the last E3 as we knew it before COVID, Mm -hmm. just introduced myself, told him I was uh, working on, actually at the time it was Arcade Perfect. And he said he would love to talk, but he's not really in charge of those decisions, as we know. It's up to WB. Um, WB knows I'm working about this, uh, working on this. They know the book is coming out. I haven't gotten permission to talk to anyone there yet, but they know I'm doing it. So one thing I made sure of, I asked John Tobias extensively, like, tell me what John Vogel did, tell me what Dan Forden did, tell me what Ed Boone did. And it's very important to to John that that his team get the recognition they deserve, and Ed especially. He and Ed. He always wanted to say, this isn't my vision. This wasn't Ed's vision. It was our vision. And so uh it's been important to me to make sure that comes across in the book. And what I'm hoping is that this one will do well enough that WB will say, uh, all right, we'll open some doors for you and I can get a lot more insight into uh Long Live MK round two and final round. But if that doesn't happen, I always, I like to have plans B, C, D all the way through Z. I've already been in contact with a lot of folks formerly of Midway and Netherrealm who can who can give me um, very, very deep and insightful knowledge of, of what went
0: on during the development of those. The other section, the arcade section, uh, where you're kind of talking to the people who put money into these arcade machines. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit more about how that section is is structured.
2: Yeah, so I I, let, I wanted to talk to people who kind of made their reputation as really sort of the first pro gamers. Oh, gotcha! Uh, today, yeah, we know about people such as such as uh, such as Sonic Fox, for example, a, a prolific name in the Mortal Kombat scene and just fighting games in general. They're they're some of the best players in the world. But um, I talked to people who were were driving cross country to play in arcades around America and who actually developed reputations on message boards before there was you know, really widespread internet access before social media, who would kind of, you'd say their name and you go, oh, I've heard of that guy. I hope he's not in this arcade or I'm going to get my ass kicked.
0: Tom Brady and James Fink and yep, those people. Tom
2: Brady, James Fink, uh, uh, Nitin Bhutani. Uh, I've interviewed all three of those guys and, and several others. So you're going to get some never before told stories from them that were a lot of fun to write. Those guys had some wild adventures.
0: They the really do. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> you mentioned that uh, you has sort of been in contact sort of with WP now obviously if if you've been unable to speak with Ed Boone, that would imply really that uh, there's been no sort of agreement of cooperation and such with Warner Bros now do you see them having any issues with this book coming out or do they seem to be okay with you going ahead well
2: so I've dealt with this before I approached Blizzard about stay on listen They were interested in working together, but they wanted total creative control. And I said, no, you can't do that. You've already written and rewritten enough of your history. I was nice about it, but Blizzard has changed. They're they're a public company, so they want to put the best face forward because that's how their shareholders make money. They have to keep the shareholders happy. Warner Brothers is in the same position, but... The thing about books like mine is that um, you, you can compare it to other projects, other other Mortal Kombat books that ran into trouble in the crowdfunding stage because of Warner Brothers. Um, the difference with mine is that I'm I'm not making a book about the lore and the characters and and you know putting putting uh, Warner Brothers intellectual property on every page. There is a there's a, a free use copyright law, and I actually cite this on the Kickstarter page just head any of this trouble off of the past, saying here's why I have permission to write this. Here's why it's coming out. Here's why you can try to stop it, but you won't get away with it. Because if a if a if a piece of media, such as a book, a documentary, what have you, is is educational, mine is. It's talking about how the games were made and and cultural perspective. Then you really can't stop it even if they are using your IP. Also, uh, another facet of copyright law is the, the kind of the positioning of or the perspective of the media. I'm not trashing Mortal Kombat. If anything, I'm, I'm gonna tell stories about games that will make people excited for potential re-releases uh, that will just make them think fondly on Mortal Kombat. So if anything, my book will probably help sales of re-releases should WB decide to go in that direction. That's not to say there's never any controversy. I do talk about um, some pretty sticky areas, but that's because this is a fact-based story and and you can't sue someone for, for showing facts. And I do have a, I have a 40 page list of citations backing up everything I've written. So do I anticipate any trouble? Yeah, not because WB is evil, but because they're a public facing company and corporations protect their image at all costs. That's just how the world works, unfortunately. But I also don't see them stopping this book. If if they would get the crowdfunding campaign stopped, I would just self-publish it anyway. And there's frankly not a damn thing they could do about
1: it. So, how has the process been then in actually getting it put together? You've mentioned that you're going through the Kickstarter coming soon, uh, but what's yes. the actual process been like?
2: So uh, running a Kickstarter campaign is exhausting. <laughs> I've, I've done, this will be my third. I really didn't want to do another one so soon, but this seemed like the best avenue down which to take Long Live MK. Um, this process really started last uh, February, 2021. When I started this, I started contacting people for interviews. I did a lot of uh, transcribing, interviewing, and outlining up until July. I wrote the first draft of, of Long Live MK round one from July through October which was, um, I'm still a little tired from it. It's about 205,000 words. So it's a big book um, and three months, kind of a record for me. I, I don't think speed is something writers should pride themselves on, but I treat writing like a like a blue collar job. I punch in, I work my ass off, and then I'm done at the end of the day, um, just because it is a job. It's a lot of fun, but you know, a job's a job. And um, now the focus is on getting the Kickstarter campaign put together, which kind of consists of, of several parts. There's There's writing the copy so you can tell people about the book, um, everything they'd want to know. There's deciding on the reward tiers. Um, I've sent early copies of the books out to readers, such as um, uh, Cliff Blazinski, creator of Unreal and Gears of War, is a huge Mortal Kombat fan. He wrote, he loved the book. He wrote me a really nice endorsement. That sort of thing helps with marketing. So you can say, oh, so-and-so loved this book. Well, I should love it, too. (laughs) You know, marketing is just one of those things. And um, really just kind of putting all these pieces together to make the campaign uh as attractive as possible my so th- there are a couple editions of the book actually there's the, the standard edition which will be an ebook, a paperback and a hardcover and it'll be just text but then there'll be ultimate long live mortal Kombat round one which will be an oversized hardcover kind of a coffee table style book which will be the story but will also have a ton of fan photographs screenshots and just a beautiful layout that's what my wife is she's actually in the other room working on it right now um she's she also uh films the Kickstarter video, does the editing. We have some fun things planned for that video. So yeah, there's a lot of plates in there right now, but it's also kind of fun. Um, it's it's a different form of storytelling. There's some writing involved, also some video production, and um, I'm just having a, a good time with, with all of it. Are you doing it all by yourself or do you
0: have a publishing company that's helping out with it
2: this one will be self-published it'll be awesome. through digital monument press which uh published stay well and listen that's the the publishing company my wife and i co-founded other books such as um monsters in the dark the making of xcom was uh, i published that myself that was just all me uh i say all me but i you know I ha- we hire professional editors cover artists and everything um to make sure that it's uh as as nicely presented as possible um so yeah we're we're funding all of this uh ourselves and the release date set for this year right It will be this year. The Kickstarter is planned for March and then it should be in your hands by September or October in time for the official 30th anniversary of Mortal Kombat. My rule about Kickstarter campaigns after the first one, which took a lot longer than I expected to to fulfill, was I won't start any crowdfunding campaign until I know the book is done. That way, once we have the funding, we can just focus on the printing and the, the shipping out to backers. They don't have to wait for me to finish the book. Yeah.
1: You're talking about just that book, but it's not just that book, is it? You're also releasing a companion book alongside it.
2: Yeah, so this is something I'm I'm having a lot of fun with just because I apparently don't like free time. (laughs) Um, uh, Tabmok99, who's just a great guy. I interviewed him a lot for this book. Um, he sent me a list of, of, um, MK burning questions. He was like, I've always wanted to know the answers to these. And I feel like after reading long live MK, you're probably the only one with the access to get them. And he asked a lot of really good questions. So I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to be contacting people to interview them about these questions. I should just write a companion book called the cool stuff. Cool with a K which is the name of one of the cheat menus in the super NES port of MK3. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which means the companion book for long live MK round two will be cooler stuff. Um, oh, awesome. Yeah, I was, you know, I was going to ask about
0: that. Cause that's how yeah, the menu man, was.
2: You gotta, you gotta stick with the theme. Now the third one is Scott stuff. My name isn't Scott. So I'm going to go, I'm gonna have to go off script there. You know? but, um, what cool stuff is, is it's just kind of a natural extension of Long Live MK, where it's more celebrating fans. I talked to Outworld, who holds a world record high score in Mortal Kombat 1's arcade version. I've been working with Diamond Select Toys on the making of their Mortal Kombat line. They sent me a... I have it right here. They sent me their um, their Sub-Zero cool. diorama. Cool. And I actually got to talk to the artist, the sculptor. I'm going to talk to the painter and the prototyper, just to learn how these were made. Because that's something I just find really interesting... Um, i just posted a, an unboxing of that last night a package just showed up so i'm like oh cool <laughs> and, uh, you know you know oh cool not pun intended i keep saying that <laughs> <up> zero, <but laughs> annoying even to me um but you know just stories like that that you can read for free in in my newsletter right now and one of the kickstarter rewards uh at certain tiers will be if you want a physical edition of cool stuff you'll be able to get that but nice. if you want to just read it for free online you can do that
1: too and that's on your episodic content correct
2: Yes, correct. That's, um. I, I think it's just com. I can give you guys the address if you want to include it in the show notes or something.
0: But yeah, definitely. We'll add it. Okay, cool. So you've already mentioned that it's going to be released on Kickstarter. Tell us, like, where can people kind of find this and in, in, uh, keep track of, of the release date and stuff like that? Sure. So the best way
2: to do that is probably on my Twitter, at davidlcradock. Also, if you subscribe to episodic content, I don't just publish Uh, Cool stuff. I publish announcements such as um, I I broke down the making of the cover art, one of two covers for Long Live MK, round one, just the process of how that came together. And I will also be announcing the Kickstarter on there as well. Uh, But definitely Twitter is probably the best place. I also have a a website, davidlcradock.com which I haven't had time to update in a few months, but I'll be posting stuff there as well. Are
0: all the books, like all four versions going to be on the Kickstarter or are you going to be releasing them separately? They'll
2: all be available on the Kickstarter. So round, for example, Long Live MK, round two and final round. I haven't even started those yet, although I've laid some of the groundwork for outlining. But um, all, all the editions of Long Live MK, round one and cool stuff. Uh, will be available on the Kickstarter. You'll be able to get all of that.
1: Any little tidbits you could share from cool stuff for anybody
2: listening? Yeah, I uh, I thought it was really cool how um, when I've been talking to Diamond Select Toys artists, I, I said what what aspect of these statues gives you the most trouble? And I said, for example, I would think that uh, working on a masked character might be a little bit easier because there's less of the face to do. And they said actually it's harder because then you only have the eyes to work with. So they talked about. For the sub-zero and scorpion legends and 3d busts in particular how they went about trying to communicate as much of the characters as possible through the eyes the second thing they told me was even though when you played the you know the, the the bus are based on scorpion and sub-zero from mk1 and they said even though we know back then that the the characters were just palette swaps we didn't want to make the bus the same because then why would you want to buy two you'd feel like you were getting ripped off so they talked about how you know they did things such as you know scorpion has more crow's feet just because of the the agony of being undead and how their 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 masks differ and uh, it's really really fascinating and like i said this stuff is um they actually the diamond select toys piece is not done quite yet it's taken me it'll be two parts because it's pretty big but uh you'll be able to to read about that for free on cool stuff i think most recently i talked to the team of hackers uh, from brazil who did a ROM hack of Mortal Kombat for Sega Genesis called Mortal Kombat Arcade Edition, which is the closest to Arcade Perfect. I think that version of the game will ever be. They did an incredible job and went into all sorts of detail on how they made it happen. So I was really glad to write about
0: that. Are you going to be releasing an audio version of this book, too? Or is it strictly physical and and digital copies? Oh, great.
2: Yes. Uh, Actually, um, I I don't know how much I can talk about it, but um, this one I'm not self-publishing. I had an audiobook production company come to me um, and offer a contract for it and we kind of worked out details and so there will be an audiobook version awesome. of Live mk that you should be able to back ahead of time on the kickstarter as well
0: oh great yeah that's good news
1: a whole mm-hmm. extra tier in a way
2: yeah. yeah yeah really there so the tier i i i love theme as a writer so i've tried to make the kickstarter tiers thematic it's almost like a battle plan except because of the way tiers are organized you'll be going uh starting at the top and working your way down but there's you know, there's Novice, there's Warrior, there's Master, there's Champion. Nice. And, you know, just like you'd see in an arcade battle plan there. So
1: oh, I think you'll with that.
2: And the really, the highest levels are like Abacab and stuff <laughs> you know, for, the, for the cheat codes. So I think I think fans will see that, you know, I put a lot of thought into that and I'm one of their own. So
1: I know we're talking to you about the, the first installment of your Long Live MKs. And you have mentioned already that you would, you're looking at it as a sort of... Um, the arcade era, the 3D era, and then I guess what I'd like to call personally the reboot era. And um,
2: I like that. I might just steal that, but I'll give you there, credit. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs>
1: um, but uh, are you planning on taking a very similar approach with the follow-up installments in the sense of how you're sort of telling the books?
2: Yes. It'll be the same sort of deal where you know I'll write about development, I'll write about the systems, and I'll, and I'll write about fan culture the, the, the one I'm probably most interested in, it's, I can't really decide between um, the 3D era and the reboot era. It's official now, man. You just christened this thing. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the 3D era for me, and I think a lot of fans, is really weird. I like those games. I love MK Deception. But in a way, the, the shift to 3D, not just for Mortal Kombat, but other fighting games and other genres, was so weird that sometimes it didn't feel like you were playing a game within the same franchise. And I know that the 3D era was kind of a low point for a lot of fans when you know it was a lot harder to to put together competitions. You obviously couldn't meet up in our in arcades to play the games. So I think that'll be really interesting for me to learn about. But I'm also really interested in the reboot era just because of you know now Mortal Kombat games are staples at fighting game tournaments, and there is a lot of big money on the line. And in fact, NetherRealm kind of shifted their their approach. To designing mortal Kombat games to actually consider more character balance and more tournament ready fighting and you know a lot of the games are still kind of broken but all fighting games are there they're impossible to balance perfectly the the objective of course is to get good enough and so i'm just really looking forward to digging into that from the designs perspective but also from the perspective of pros who stake their livelihoods on competing in these tournaments
0: well the reboot era too it kind of went back to the familiarity of the uh the 2d era with You know, that's the side view and stuff like that. And I think that's why a lot of gamers came back for it after like a lot of the ones that left during the 3D time.
2: Oh, yeah. I think I said earlier, like, you know, Mortal Kombat 9, their approach was brilliant. reboot it Mm -hmm. and bring back every fan favorite character. You know, the game is basically the Mortal Kombat Ultimate MK3 and also some of the trilogy roster as well. Like there's really no complaints over characters in that game. And going forward, I think every fighting game has this. You know some characters will land some won't but the one thing i've always liked about mortal Kombat, as compared to street fighter which i love as well is that mortal Kombat has always felt willing to take more risks they might leave out a fan favorite character and try introducing a lot of other ones and nobody's gonna make you can't make all the people happy all the time as the saying goes but i, yeah. I like the fact that they're willing to try and that's how i felt about the 3d era i really liked kira a black dragon female mercenary i thought that was a cool idea then there was cobra who was not um but, but you know but they're, they still they're trying things right and that's what i've always loved about mortal kombat i love i actually love i think fans called them the combat kids or the combat brats you know cassie like kids, uh, Jacqueline, yeah. yeah like man like Jacqueline and cassie i think are two of the coolest characters and i think they've been we can pretty much tell they're the fan favorites with the developer favorites as well because they made the jump to mk11 and a lot I of miss the, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, i miss like takeda yeah i like takeda too you yeah. know, so I, like that's why I want Mortal Kombat 12. Like, hey, you yeah. know, like, are we, we going to bring any more of this back? I, I like the idea. I like that there are a lot of reasons to like Mortal Kombat. You have some people who are only in it for the gameplay and the competition. You have other people who like to play the games but are really into the stories. And I think that that's that's one advantage Mortal Kombat has had over Street Fighter. Street Fighter Capcom really didn't get into the whole idea of a story mode until late in the game to the point where, like, no one really even cared. I mean, let's face it, this is this is very reductive. And again, I love Street Fighter, but all they're really trying to do is remake Street Fighter 2 over and over again and you know, <laughs> capture that magic. But Mortal Kombat is like, hey, Johnny Cage and Sonya got together and they're parents now. What? Like, that just yeah. the whole premise is kind of a cool thing and here's how sub-zero and scorpion age and look back at their at their at their rivalry and um you know i'm really into all that stuff i think noob cybot is one of my favorite characters for that reason the fact that he was just this evil entity and his younger brother can go man thank you for being a role model for what i do not want to be like it's just (laughs) they can can do really cool stuff with their characters there's so many reasons to enjoy mortal kombat that's what i love about it
1: yeah you're right i mean we have very much we talked about that to quite an extent actually on the show and, and sense that you can love mk for the lore you can love it for the gameplay you can love it even for the designs uh, especially mm-hmm. with how you were saying and that they take risks if if they didn't take risks we wouldn't have kenshi who's become a fan favorite now as well yes right uh, to the point yes. where they even put him in mk9 even though he was not part of mk1 to 3
2: yes that's that's what i loved about it. i th- I think you saw them kind of dipping toes in the water there because mk9 had Quan chi as well and it's yeah. like it's like with Quan Chi and Kenshi, they chose the two most popular characters from from those 3D games, and we're like, I feel like they're strong enough to work in this game, and they did. Yeah, uh, Kenshi is is awesome. He's someone I'd like to to see come back more, and um, yeah, it'll be really interesting to learn, especially with without John Tobias, how they kind of landed on a lot of these decisions, lore wise. You know, mm-hmm.
1: I guess. Before we let you go, we always do like to ask a very important question to all Mortal Kombat fans. Uh, what is your favorite finisher?
2: It's got to be Sub-Zero's spine rip. It's it's a classic. I think it's the fatality that everyone thinks of when they think of fatality. I was
1: expecting either that or the heart rip, as you said. At the th- yeah. The, right. so
2: yeah the coin toss, right? Like, it's, yeah. it's one of those two. Or, or maybe... <laughs> If we have a three-sided coin, maybe Scorpion's uh, Flame Fatality as well.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Good old toasty. That's
0: right. (laughs) Well, David, we'd like to thank you so much for joining us on this episode. It was a pleasure to have you on.
2: Thank you. Oh, guys, thank you. The pleasure's been mine. I, I love talking to Mortal Kombat fans. I've been doing it quite a lot over the last couple of years. So thank you very much for having me. It means a lot.
1: How does it feel to be on the other side? You're usually interviewing people. Now you're being interviewed. <laughs> it's still weird. I'm like, why does anyone want to talk to me? But I always <laughs> I always
2: enjoy the conversations, you know? So again, it's it's been a real pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank
0: you. Make sure you follow David and the uh, upcoming book. We'll leave links to the description in our YouTube video. And thank you all of our listeners for joining us today. You can find Yanni and myself, Phantom, on the Mortal Kombat group on Facebook, as well as Yanni on the Mortal Kombat meme realm. Special thanks to Uppercut Editions for their continued support. You can follow them at Uppercut LLC on Twitter and the Mortal Kombat Encyclopedia Project on Facebook. You can catch up on all episodes of the Realmcast on YouTube, Facebook, iTunes, and Spotify.
1: Fatality.